Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 13, which begins with a spectacular crash and explosion and ends with Jesse's saxophone solo. Yesterday we talked about how Minute 12 was all build up and no payoff. Well, right at the very beginning of Minute 13, we get the payoff that we should have gotten yesterday. And it's funny... We were complaining about how yesterday was kind of a poor option for a Valentine's Day episode, and I feel like this minute and maybe even the minute afterwards probably would have been better options. Absolutely. For Valentine's Day. We'll get into it a little bit later, but it's the perfect Valentine's Day episode. Yeah. So happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) But before we get too schmaltzy, we have to talk (laughs) about this crash. So we begin the minute with the Pursuit Special careening around this crash truck and going into a pile of, I guess, dumped cars or something like that and just exploding in this glorious fireball with stuff shooting up into the air and flames everywhere. It is the most spectacular thing we've seen so far. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, I... Kind of had a hard time making sense of the scene, not the explosion, but like the scenery with there's, it looks like a, like a flatbed trailer carrying barrels with considering the size of the explosion, I would assume is fuel of some kind. And then I spotted three like crashed or overturned cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that flatbed. The back half of it was carrying barrels. The front half of it had, like, piles of wrecked cars, which I'm assuming were going to a scrapyard of some kind. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So when this truck went off the road or jackknifed or whatever, all of those contents just everywhere. Okay. That makes sense. I was thinking that it was, like, a prior crash. I'm like, why didn't we see that epic crash? But it makes (laughs) sense that they were... Like totaled cars. Yeah, it's more of a spill instead of a yes. actual pileup. <laughs> I have yeah. a couple of things I, I pulled from IMDb trivia. The first being the stolen interceptor driven by the Knight Rider in the opening scenes is another production vehicle. It is an HQ Molden Murano, which was sold in Australia in the early 70s with a variety of motors, including large capacity V8s. Also, the other police vehicles in the movie were sedan versions of the XB. Although one was the previous model XA. They also had 351 cubic inch motors and are a common car on Australian roads. Which would explain why they were able to get so many of them, I would assume, cheaply. Mm -hmm. It would be like if you were shooting a movie today, you would use either a Honda Civic or a Honda CRV because there are just so many of them on the road. Everywhere. Yes. The second bit of imdb trivia talks specifically about the crash it's uh the knight rider's spectacular crash was the result of a military booster rocket being installed in the back of the car 
It went out of control, missed the target fuel tanker, and veered off into the field where it chased the film crew for a quarter mile. The on-camera explosion was later a recreation using a safer towed car. After, it, it, it's funny that, because we've read the same IMDb trivia page, so I have the exact same notes with, like, the exact same wording. Uh, but you can really tell, once you know that that crash was was aided by a booster and went out of control, You that's exactly what you're seeing on screen. Mm-hmm. It's got the flames shooting out, mm-hmm. which, like, where would those flames be coming from, you know, in-universe? In Why would that car be flaming in such a way? And it's so obviously out of control. Yeah. The thing I like is that as the the car at the beginning of this minute is coming around the end of the trailer, you can very plainly see, A, it's got a rocket, like you said. B, there are no people in that car. There are just <laughs> kind of featureless dummies, which I wrote down, it kind of looks like either they're blow-up dolls or like Muppets. Because they just, they're just round heads on really, like, human-shaped but not really bodies. And I like what they did with this crash because the car is launched around the truck, does some cord- sort of thing where it kind of veers to the right of the screen. And then when they actually show the explosion, the car is being actually pulled backwards. And so... What you're supposed to believe as a viewer is that the Knight Rider went around the truck in such a way that he flew backwards into the explosion. And I say it's backwards because I took, you know, really small chunks of this scene and really paid attention. And yeah, when they pull that car into the pile of wrecked vehicles, it's going backwards. And there's one shot where you can very clearly see the chain that they're using to pull the car (laughs) into that pile. So before the Knight Rider actually explodes, we get a few reaction shots from him. A couple of close-ups on his face. But mostly the one that sticks out is the eye-bulging shot. Yes. And I was interested in that one to try and figure out how they did it or what they did to produce it. And I actually found an interview that George Miller did with the El Rey Network. That's the TV network that is run by the director, Robert Rodriguez. He directed El Mariachi, and I think he also did the Spy Kids series. Anyway, doesn't matter, off topic. So it's an interview with George Miller and Robert Rodriguez, and George Miller described using the eye bulge effect to help sell the impact of this crash and another crash later on in the movie. He said that the the visuals alone were not enough to really convey the idea of this spectacular impact. So he and Byron were, Byron Kennedy, the other, the main producer, mm-hmm. they were sitting in their apartment and they were trying to think of how to make this impact more visually stimulating. And so they took a latex mask and a couple of sticks and they just pushed the eyes through the mask in a close-up and they got that eye bulge effect. So they tacked it on and it completely changed how the how the crash felt as you were purely watching it with no sound. Okay. I think maybe that effect was lost on me. I'm not sure. Now that you bring that up, I want to like edit it so take the eye bulge out and watch it and see if it really makes a difference. 
I'm sure it would definitely feel different. That eye bulge, it's, it's kind of a, it's something that is definitely George Miller. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, speaking of the Knight Rider, as this is the last time we we essentially see him on screen, he was played by Vince Gill, and he often goes by Vincent Gill. Depends. IMDb lists it both ways. Anyway, his top four on IMDb are first and foremost Mad Max, where he plays the Knight Rider. No surprise there. Second one was 1993's Body Melt, where he played a character named Pud. He was also in a movie called Ghosts of the Civil Dead. And I had a pause in there because it's Ghosts and then an ellipses of the Civil Dead. It's a really strange way to write a title. Yeah. That was in 1988. He played a character named Ruben. And number four, he was in a picture called Incident at Ravensgate. That was 1988 as well. And he played a character named Skinner. So... Gill actually started out on TV in 1965, and he did 12 episodes of Homicide in the 10 years that that show ran. He played, I think, 12 different characters. Really? Not a recurring character? No. Homicide was kind of like 1970s Australian emergency or law and order one of those shows where they rip stories from the headlines and yeah, recreate them procedural type thing yeah. I, that's that's what i pictured just by the name yeah. is australian law and order mm-hmm. and he's still working on tv or at least he was in 2015 his latest credit is the dr blake mysteries in 2015 and then as i think we mentioned several minutes ago in 2012 on the TV show Conspiracy 365, he played a character named Toe Cutter Durham. Yep. I I looked up Conspiracy 365 on YouTube, and I've got to say I was underwhelmed. It seems to be one of those kids' parents are murdered, and then there's a mystery involving something called Singularity, and it's like... Really hard to follow just from the short recap video that I sh- that I watched. So I'm sure it's one of those things where if you're watching the show, it makes more sense. But I just, it didn't make much sense But you to need me. to watch it from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, it was very clear that it was Vince Gill. Mm-hmm. I mean, he hasn't changed that much. His hair is receding. But that's no big surprise. It happens to the best of us. <laughs> so, thus... Ends the saga of the Knight Rider. Yes. So as the crash is happening, Max has stopped his car, gets out of his car, remove, has removed his sunglasses, and we, we get our first full face shot. Yep, it's our hero Max. shot. <laughs> I was a little bit disappointed is a strong word, but we're going to go with it. I was a little bit disappointed to not get more of a reaction out of Max. Do you want to know what that reaction said to me? What? That expression on his face was telling me that he was either trying to think up a way to explain to his superiors how the crash ended, or he was imagining how much paperwork is going to be involved in writing up this accident. Like, that is the expression of, oh, yeah, that just happened. 
now I've got to deal with it. Yes. It wasn't so much, you know, a triumphant pose or some sort of, you know, sorrowful, oh, my adversary is dead. It's more of a, oh, crap. Yeah, that's going to make a stain. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I agree. And it was a little underwhelming. Mm-hmm. So, since this is our first full shot of Gibson, I looked him up on on IMDb just to get his stuff out of the way. Okay. So, Mel Gibson, super well-known actor. Yes. Like, everybody knows who he is. His top four on IMDb, none of them are Mad Max movies. I'm a little disappointed. However... Well, he he's had a very long career. Yeah. The movies that are in his top four are very critically acclaimed. Uh, number one, 1995's Braveheart, where he played William Wallace. Yep. Probably... One of his best. I was going to say Bra- Braveheart might be my favorite of the non-Mad Max Mel Gibson movies. As yes. far as, like, overall quality. What are the other three? Because I'm kind of drawing a blank now. So, number two is the M. Night Shyamalan movie Signs in 2002, mm. where he played Reverend Graham Hess. Okay. Number three, of course, the first Lethal Weapon movie, where he played Martin Riggs. That I've was in 1987. I think... I've heard they're really good. I mean... <laughs> I'm trying to think if I've ever seen a Lethal Weapon movie, and I can't say that I have. I feel like I've just never been interested. I'm going to make a statement here, and it might upset people on the internet, but I feel like you've got Die Hard, and you've got Lethal Weapon. I've always been the kind of person to watch Die Hard, and I've never felt the need to watch Lethal Weapon. And, I, and I'm sure there are people that have watched all of the Lethal Weapon movies and have never had the desire to watch a Die Hard movie. So I feel like there might be, you know, two camps there as far as action movies are concerned. You like the Lethal Weapon movies or you like the Die Hard movies. I just happen to be a Die Hard guy. That's fair. That's how it is. Number four on Mel Gibson's movie list, his top four on IMDb, is The Patriot from 2000, where he played Benjamin Martin. Mm. I say that mm. one was pretty intense, but I still think I prefer Braveheart. Yeah, yes, uh, definitely out of those four, Braveheart's the best one. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see The Patriot? I did. Um, I was not impressed. Isn't Lucius Malfoy the bad guy in that movie? Yes, because Lucius Malfoy plays an amazing bad guy. Yeah, didn't he? Um. He did the thing where he locked everybody in a church and burned the church down. I think so. Yes. Yeah. And he had a fabulous hat. Cause he was I don't a, remember his hat. He was a British dragoon. Yes, he was. But, yeah, I, I think I remember him. Did he shoot Heath Ledger? I don't remember. I think cause... Heath Ledger was Mel Gibson's son in that movie. And... Yes. So, prior to Mad Max, Gibson was in three productions. He was in a television show called The Sullivans in 1976. He was in a film called Summer City in 1977, where he co-starred with John Jarrett, Philip Avalon, and a little actor you might have heard uh, heard of named Steve Bisley, who plays Goose <laughs> in this movie. That's we met, great. We mentioned earlier that Mel and Steve were roommates. Well, they had already worked on one movie together, so that's why oh. they have such good reports, because they've been friends for so long. Okay. Um, finally, he did a TV movie in 1979 called The Hero. I noticed 
that starting in 1976, Mel Gibson has had an acting credit pretty much every year. There are some years where it skips, and it's technically two years, but for the most part, he's had solid work from 1976 until 2005, and then there's kind of like a five-year gap, Mm -hmm. and he comes back in 2010 and is still making movies. One thing I found interesting on his IMDb page is there's a trademark entry, and they describe him under his trademark as often plays angry or deranged characters. Huh. There's that old saying, you do what you know. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A movie that you did not mention as having done before Mad Max that I was hoping you would is a movie called Tim. Did you see that at all? No, I didn't. It was in 1979, so it may have not have popped up for you before Mad Max. It may have popped up for you after Mad Max. I grew up in the era of videotapes and recording things off of TV. So a lot of the things that I watched as a kid was recorded off TV. And my mom was a pro at editing out the commercials, at pausing the recording and then starting it back up again with perfect timing. And one movie that was in our collection that for a very long time I never watched was a movie called Tim. And it's Mel Gibson as the main character, Tim. And finally, I don't remember when, but finally when I was old enough to be curious and care, I watched the movie. I don't remember if it was really any good or not. It was too long ago. But my memory of the movie, and you know, I really should just read the, look at the synopsis. When I was looking at IMDb on the main computer, yeah, on the desktop version, it did not list Tim before Mad Max. Oh, okay. On the mobile version, it does. Yeah. But on the desktop version of IMDb, it displays differently. Okay, so my memory is correct. He plays a, this is from IMDb, a somewhat mentally handicapped 20-year-old man works as a laborer, but everyone abuses his naivete. A nice 40-year-old American woman hires him one day, and they become close. However, the town and his family sees her as predatory. Uh, What it doesn't mention is that they get married. And it's one of those movies that I feel like I should go back and watch as an adult. Get something different out of it. That I would view it completely different. Yeah. But that is... I didn't didn't realize before now that that was the same year as Mad Max. So that was kind of my introduction to young Mel Gibson. Young Mel Gibson, yeah. So after we get the hero shot... We transition to an exterior at night shot of their house. I want to talk about their house, but I want to wait until we see it in the daylight. Yeah, I agree. Because we don't really see a lot of it at this point. We just start to hear the saxophone solo that Joanne Samuel is playing. Yes. At the beginning of the scene. Sort of. <laughs> I did. I tried to do a little bit of digging on... If she was actually playing, or if she actually played the the track that they played over this scene, mm-hmm. and I real I couldn't find anything, and then I watched the scene again, and it is so incredibly obvious that she's not actually playing the saxophone. <laughs> that I'm like, how did I not see that the first time? How did I ever wonder if she was actually playing? Yeah. So 
One thing I noted as I was watching her, I guess, pantomime playing a saxophone. Yes. Jesse is not the only saxophone player in the Mad Max series. There is one other that I could find that I could think of, and that was a character from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome named Tauntaun Tattoo, and he works in Auntie's office and kind of just plays the saxophone for her. Okay. So we're going to have to be very attentive when we get to that scene when we're doing Thunderdome of how Max reacts to someone playing the saxophone. Because, you know, this is one of the things that Jessie just does. She plays the saxophone. That's part of her character. Yes. By that point, two movies down the road and uh, the world has descended into, you know, chaos. It'll be interesting to see how he reacts to having that element of life before the apocalypse seep back into his experience. So I'll be very interested to see how his face reacts to that stimulus. Yes. But here in the hearing now, we get a shot from the exterior of the house to Max sitting at a table with his son Sprague sitting on the table. They're listening to Jesse play the saxophone. Uh, Turns out the name Sprague is a slang term referring to a baby or child and it comes from armed forces slang, referring to a new recruit. That's from stackexchange.com. The So they're basically they're calling him kid. Pretty much. In <laughs> I wanna say Australian Navy, the little excerpt that I read on Stack Exchange didn't specifically specify, but it was one of those things where the enlisted sailors, when they would go on leave, if they had a girlfriend or a wife they weren't referred to as girlfriend or wife. They were referred to as their party. And if they had children, they were referred to as Sprogs. Now, Sprogs was also, as I mentioned, a nickname for new recruits on the ship. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like you said, they named their kid Kid. <laughs> it occurs to me that it's not his name, that it's his nickname, and that they just never call him by his name. Mm-hmm. Sprog is played by a little actor named Brendan Heath. And he actually has something in common with Matthew Constantine. Can you guess what that is? It's the only thing he ever did? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) One entry on IMDb and no bio to speak of. (laughs) Well, when you're cast in a movie and everybody just ignores you all the time, why would you ever go back to do another movie? I did put down in my notes that it's a good thing that at least the cameraman is keeping an eye on the kid. because because his parents never do. Yeah, we will go for huge spans of time without ever seeing Sprague. And we, when we watched it together, kept asking, um... Isn't there a kid? Don't yeah, they have a kid? Where's the baby? Right. Like, who's keeping an eye on the baby? And this is going to come up in later minutes, but like, I don't even think they own a car seat. No, and I was thinking that my mother raised two kids slightly after this era... Um, so I'm wondering if I can convince her to come on the show and talk about the, the culture of young children in the car at that time. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll get to that I feel like quite a ways down the road. I feel like your mom is going to have a lot to say about Thunderdome since that's the one that you guys watched a lot. Yes. <laughs> it so, is, it is her favorite. So 
stay tuned for that exciting episode where we have Julia's mom as a guest. <laughs> Surprise, Allison. It's going to happen. <laughs> so going back to Joanne Samuel, because we turn from Max and Sprague at the table to Jesse playing the saxophone. Now, as I mentioned, she's played by Joanne Samuel, and... She wasn't the original casting for Jesse. That's right. I read that and I didn't write it down. Yep. So originally, filming was scheduled to take 10 weeks, six weeks of first unit and four weeks of stunt and chase sequences. However, four days into shooting, the original Jesse, an actress named Rosie Bailey, was injured in a motorcycle accident and had to be replaced. And so they brought in Joanne Samuel and the whole production had a two-week delay, but they pulled it together. One of the notes on IMDb specifically said that Joanne Samuel didn't necessarily have to fight anybody else for the role because she just defaulted into it when Rosie Bailey got injured. Yes. Like it was down to Rosie and Joanne and jo- Rosie got hurt. So Joanne was just given the role. Yep. And it worked out pretty well for her. She's done quite a lot. In fact, her top four on IMDb, I've I've done this with every other actor, might as well keep it going. So first and foremost, she's known for Mad Max, where she played Jessie. Number two, she was on a TV show called Skyways. Her character was named Kelly Morgan, regular on the show, almost every episode. Number three was a 1981 movie called Allison's Birthday, where she played the main character of Allison. And number four... She was in a movie called Nightmaster in 1987, where she played Sonia Spain, S-P-A-N-E. Interesting thing about Nightmaster, Joanne Samuel co-starred that movie with Nicole Kidman. Oh. So it's another There are only so many of... Australian actors. Exactly. <laughs> now, number three stood out to me, Allison's birthday, because your mom's name is Allison. And so I looked it up. Well, um, hmm. <laughs> Allison's Birthday is a horror movie where Joanne Samuel <laughs> plays the titular character. She's a young woman whose adoptive parents are part of a cult that soul swaps young women so that their demonic patron can live on forever. So, it's not a movie that ends well for her. Okay. So, not one that I'm going to run out and see. <laughs> so, we wrap up this minute with Jesse and Max sitting on the floor, and she's toweling off his head. Before we get to that... Oh, okay. During the scene where Jesse's playing the saxophone, and we get a shot of Max sitting at the table with Sprog sitting there playing with just whatever happens to be there, I noticed the look on Max's face and his, his body language and his general attitude. He is completely enthralled by Jesse mm-hmm. and her playing. And this is what I was referring to when I said this was a great Valentine's Day episode. He loves her so much. And you you can see it the way that he's looking at her. And he's drinking juice. I think it's beer. Okay. It's Australia. It's beer. Well, it's a little tiny juice glass. So it looked like apple juice to me. Anyways. Really frothy apple juice. I guess so. So he's drinking beer. And he's so into... Jesse and her performance that he he seems a slightly clumsy with the glass like he's very purposefully putting it up to his mouth and and tilting it to drink 
and then very purposefully putting it down. Like he's not paying attention to the glass because he is solely focused on her and her performance. And he's not paying attention to the kid at all who's chewing on a playing card. I think I think it's actually a graham cracker that's in his mouth, but then he grabs a deck of cards yes. and he just starts like flipping them. And one of them flips so perfectly, and I, I can't imagine that that was any sort of on purpose because he's a baby. <laughs> uh, but it was just it was perfect the the card flip. Yeah, yeah. So I think that this first scene with the three of them, more accurately, with the two of them, really sets up what we're going to learn about their relationship and their family going forward and also what happens at the end and how we come up with Mad Max. Yeah. yeah. We're definitely going to talk more about their relationship in the next minute because we get to see a lot more of them directly interacting. Yes, we do. We don't even get a full line at the end of this minute. Nope. We're halfway cut off. Yeah. Um, I do like, though, the one thing we do get about the scene where they're sitting together, she's drawing his hair. And as a couple, you and I, you know, we're in love very much. We're the love of each other's lives. I, I, I never dry your hair and you never dry my hair. Like, it's... Oh. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean. First and foremost... I've never had hair like Mel Gibson. No. Second of all, I've never had a body like Mel Gibson. <laughs> Third of all, you've never played the saxophone for me. Oh, okay. So. So I need to learn an I'm instrument. Not, I'm not saying correlation means causation or whatever <laughs> the phrasing is there, but I feel like at least two of those elements are major contributing facts that we've never recreated this scene. No. I just think it's very sweet. Yeah. Uh, that she's taking care of him. Right. And, and we get an inkling, we get half the sentence that makes it sound like he's been gone for three days. Yeah. So, yeah, she's taking care of him. It's very, it's very nice and sweet. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about that yes. next minute, though. On that note, our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MadMaxMinute. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 13. We'll see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and men, take me to the edge of the dream.